All right, this week, we're gonna start with a game. Uh, I wanna see if you can tell the difference between what's real and what is fake. Now, most of us at one time or another uh, have seen some pretty nice things. Things like Rolexes, Louis Vuitton bags, diamonds big enough to see our own faces in the reflection. Uh, but are we familiar enough with these to know the difference just by looking at them? So first up, two different Louis Vuitton bags. Can you see which one is which? One is $25 in New York City up a creepy staircase in a shady back room. The other is a couple thousand dollars at Phipps. So what do you think? Can you tell? Look at the design. You'll see the fake one is disproportionate from side to side, whereas the other one is proportionate. Good job. All right, last one. Let's look at diamonds versus cubic zirconia. All right, so hopefully this game won't get anyone in trouble. <laughs> okay. Guys, take a look. Can you see a difference? And, and a diamond is a gray color. And the cubic zirconia, it's a lighter color. All right, so it's safe to say that the way we know whether something is real or fake is by the evidence, right? Knowing the standards set forth by the creator or craftsman will always point you to the real thing. Now today, Randy is answering the question, is Jesus the only way? So please give your attention to Randy Pope. Good morning to all. And those that watch also as well, we welcome all of you here. Let's, uh, let's quickly review uh, where we have been, and then we'll pick up where we left off. So the review, first week we talked about, is there such a thing as life satisfaction? How would you find life satisfaction? All of this is investigating only. It's not a debate, it's just an investigation. So uh, is there such a thing as life satisfaction? And so during that time, we, we talked about how you would go about investigating and why it is so important to investigate. If you think there's any hope whatsoever, any thought that Jesus could be who he claimed to be. Then number two week, we moved along to the Bible. Is it God's word? What is the evidence that it would be God's word? Uh, no proof that it is. There's no way to prove anything. We understand that. Not something that ancient and old. But is there evidence to give us warrant to believe such? Then number three week, we talked last week about good people and do they really deserve eternal punishment, which is one of the hallmark beliefs of the Christian faith, that people are either in God's family, they're outside. If they're in God's family, they have eternity with God forever. If they're outside that family, then they're separated from God for all eternity. The question is, is that fair even if it is true? And what would make us think that it's true to begin with. So we have worked through all of those issues and dealing also at that week with the issue of, of uh, why does God let bad things happen to good people? You can go back and see anything that we have done on perimeter.org slash if answers and feel free to go there. Uh, during this particular time, you can go Tuesday at noon and pick up what is missed today if you want to review today or give it to someone else uh, perimeter.org slash if answers. By the way, this week we're going to be talking about uh, probably a, the one of the more pinnacle of all subject matters, which is the one, is Jesus really the only way to God? Is Jesus really God himself? How would we know that? What would make us believe that? So uh, uh, other religions, we want to talk about that too. So I'm going to give you kind of a little plan for how you might find yourself able to investigate looking at Christianity 
as you look at other religions as well. So with that in mind, one last thing of, uh, of just where we're going and where we've been. Next week will be our final week, and we're going to talk about the most important subject matter of all. I said several weeks ago it would be my responsibility, and I will do my very best this next week to help you understand what is really required to have eternal life. How does a person come to believe they really are in the family of God? And so we'll, uh, that's really the most important in many respects. So with that, today is Jesus the only way to God. There's a text that you would have read if you've been reading through the questions in John. I'm asking you to read five chapters per week. And so this would have been chapters 11 through 15 that you would have been reading. When you come to chapter 14, there's one question that is brought in the margin there that I want to address even now before we get to John. It's where Jesus makes that claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is the issue of all issues. Is he really the only way to God? I want to address the first thought about that even now. That's the verse probably that I will say gets Christians into trouble with the non-believing world. Because when Christians embrace that, they immediately start teaching as I would be teaching, and I explain to people what I believe is the truth, just representing the Bible and Christianity, that Jesus is the one and only way to God. What am I going to hear? When I make that statement, if there's any criticism that's leveled against Christians and Christianity today, it is that Christians are intolerant. I've heard this so many times. Now, wait. I don't have a problem with you finding your Jesus as your way to God. But how come you're so intolerant of my way to God? Just because my way is not your way, you, you shouldn't do that. You're being intolerant. Now, let me tell you, I really do not have a temper. I think I've lost my temper two or three times. And it was not pretty. It was really bad when I did. But, but I don't lose my temper very often. And I certainly wouldn't lose my temper over someone calling me intolerant, but I'm going to get as close then as any time you'll ever see me. If I'm sitting with someone and they say, you're just intolerant, my response is always the same. I'll come back strong and I'll say, don't you ever call me intolerant. Which, by the way, you can call me wrong. You can call me stupid. I don't care what words you want to use, but don't call me intolerant. That's the one thing... I think I'm definitely not, and I explain this way. Imagine that you're going to eat at a restaurant, and uh, let's just say that I'm meeting with you at a restaurant. And I'm sitting there and say, could I be excused? And we don't know each other very well, but I say, can I be excused to run to the restroom for a minute? Sure, and I run off to the restroom. And as I pass by an opening into the kitchen, I happen to hear your name being mentioned by one of the cooks to our waiter or waitress. And I stop hearing your name and to listen a minute. And here's what I see and hear. The waiter is standing there. The, the, the uh, cook comes up and says, uh, you see that man out there sitting? And he points to right where you are. See that person? I hate him. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to kill him today. And I hear that, and I go, is this guy serious? And about that time, he pulls out a little vial, and he says, this is cyanide. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bake up some cookies, and in just a little while when they're done, when they finish their meal, I want you to take these cookies that I'm going to fix with cyanide laced all through them, and I want you simply to say, I just an admirer wanted to give you a, a little gift here, and leave them with the cookies. And when that guy picks up that cookie and he eats the first bite, he'll be dead within seconds. Well, I hear that, and it scares me to death, and so I come back and I've got to tell you what I just heard, but as, even as I sit down, I feel a little stupid. Well, was that a joke? Would I miss the meaning? What's, I don't know, but sure enough, I'm so concerned about how you might think of me that I say, I'm not going to say anything. If no cookies come, no harm done. But sure enough, about the time it would take the cookies to get ready, here comes that waiter with some cookies, with the statement that I heard requested to make, and you look at that cookie and say, oh, well, tell whoever it is, thank you. I love these kind of cookies. And I immediately say, don't eat the cookie. Don't eat the cookie. And, and, and you say, why? Are you one of those sugar guys? That, you know, come on. No, it'll kill you. Oh, come on. You guys are crazy. I'm, yeah. No, 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 no. Let, let me tell you what I just heard. And I repeat the whole scene. And you say to me, come on. <laughs> you think I'm going to buy that? What's the likelihood? That's crazy. And you grab that cookie, and you start toward your mouth. Here's what I've asked. What should I do? I ask you, what should I do? You know what everyone says to me? I would hope you would grab my hand. And then I come back and I say, and you tell me why that's not being intolerant. Because I have a belief that you don't, and I resist your belief. But you see, it's the issue of what's my motive. It's because I have information. Maybe I'm wrong. But the information I have tells me that you're in great trouble. And therefore, I need to do everything I can to help you. That's not intolerance. It's love. Even if we're wrong, it's love. So keep that in mind. But this is the issue. Jesus said it. People say, so you're going to believe that? I say, well, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And that's why I always point back, this is an investigation of Jesus. Is he who he claimed to be or not? That was week one. If he's liar and our mind's right or wrong, lunatic and our mind's right or wrong, oh, we're fools to follow him. But if we conclude right or wrong, but we conclude we think he is who he claimed to be, Lord of the universe, we're a fool of fools not to follow. And so that's the premise upon which we built all of this. So let's look at this question. Four considerations when investigating this question. I have a... Uh, a friend now from many years past that uh, I met in the most strange of ways. I get a phone call. The phone call is from a friend who is probably 15 years older than me that I don't know all that well who lived in Virginia. And he calls, and from the minute I said hello, I could hear there was desperation on his voice. He said, Randy, this is no social call. This is life or death. Well, I was all ears. He said, you've got to help me. There is a man, he gave me his name, who has been my partner for many years in a very, very, very large and successful business. He said, we've had the worst to fall out. And he has left and gone and separated and started a company in, com in total competition against my company now. And said, this man is the most brilliant of men. He is the most successful. He has made more money in our industry than probably any other person. 
He has plenty of wealth, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, he has just called me. He's moved to Atlanta. He has a home in North Atlanta. He's just called me, and he has a pistol in his hand. And he told me, he said, Jim, I'm ending my life. I'm through. It's all over. He said, my company is going down. My marriage is almost over. There's no reason to live. And I'm sitting here about to take my life. And I say, before I pull that trigger, I've got one other thing to do. And I want to say to you, Jim, I am sorry that it went down the way it went down. That's all I want to say. And before he can hang up, Jim says to him, I'm going to beg you, please don't take your life. He said, there's no reason. There's nothing. He said, would you just do me one favor? Would you call a friend of mine in Atlanta? His name is Randy. He lives in North Atlanta as well. I'm just going to ask you to have a meeting with him. That's all I'm going to ask you. Would you do that? So he, uh, he said, I might or I don't know, but they hang up, and my friend Jim calls me, and he says, I don't know that you'll ever hear from this man. He could be dead right now. But if you hear from this guy, if he calls you, know it's this desperate, and you get with him today. I said, I would certainly do that. Well, sure enough, the phone rings not long after I hung up with Jim. He never said he was suicidal. He didn't talk about the despair. He just says, hey, I'm a friend of Jim's, and he thinks I need to get with you. And, and I said, well, why don't we get together today? I can get up and you know, I'll come to your place. And so I find his home, a palatial home, beautiful, so forth. We go in and sit down. And I said, uh, well, tell me, what can I do for you? He said, well, I'm, I'm going through some struggles in life right now, and business is not going well, marriage isn't going well, and, you know, I just, uh, he said, maybe you could help me. I said, did you know I'm a preacher? He said, no, what kind? I said, I'm a Christian preacher. He said, I don't, I don't do that stuff. I'm not into that stuff. I said, I assume that might be the case, but I said, that's, I think, maybe why he called me. Well, he had no, he had no real interest at all in spiritual things. So I showed him that little diagram that I showed you week one. And after I showed him the diagram and mentioned the four important questions that one would need to investigate about Christianity, when I walked through those four, when I said the first one, you know, why do Christians believe the Bible's God's word and without error? How can they believe that? And he looks at me and he shakes his head like, yeah, no way. And then I said, and the second question is, how can a, a good God allow people outside of the Christian faith to be separated from God for all eternity. And he said, ah, that wouldn't be fair. That's not right. And I said, the third question is, how can Christians believe of all the religious leaders that have ever lived that Jesus is the one and only way to God? And let me tell you, he slapped his hand on the table in front of him with, I mean, and he said, no, it's not true. You will never convince me that that's true. I said, I may not. But that's the question that has to be investigated. He said, I'll go over that one with you right now. I'll take you on on that one. And he pointed to some books on a coffee table said, you see those books? I said, yeah. He said, Eastern religion books. I've traveled the world looking at religion. You will never convince me that he is the way to God. I'll take you on right now. I said, well, actually, that's week three. I thought I'd keep him alive for three weeks at least, <laughs> just from curiosity. But... So anyway, he, he said, all right, I want to go through. So we went through the, the, the times together. And I meet with him the first week. And I get to the door, and literally, he says, can we hit that Jesus subject right now? Said, no, it's week three. Week two, a little milder, he said, you're going to tell me no to about Jesus question, right? And I said, yeah, that's it. But I was having him do something every day. I said, I'll meet with you on the condition. You'll read a little bit of John 
every single day. Five chapters every week. I don't care how few, how little you read it. Just get through it by the end of the time we meet together again. If you finish early, just loop it around. I'm going to ask you just read the Bible. Just read this, John. And we'll talk about it too, just like we're doing here. And he had done that. And so we get to week three. And I'm going to pause the story there. And I'm going to share a little bit that I shared with him. All right? Basically the same thoughts. So here they are, the four considerations. Number one, fulfilled Old Testament prophecies regarding Jesus. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment, if you understand the Bible, it's, he is the fulfillment of the prophesied Messiah, which means deliverer. So he would be the deliverer. The Jews were confused, thinking to deliver them from the Romans because they were looking in their own time period and what they were living with then, as opposed to the eternal picture or the, uh, the long view picture, which he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to deliver you from your sin. But he is the deliverer or the Messiah, according to the Bible. Now, there are over, let's say under, over, just right at 300, various clues that are given as prophecies from earlier dates. Now, we can prove that these are earlier dates because when the findings of the archaeological discoveries of some of these things that have proved it, that, that tell us that these were prophecies made. We know that in Scripture I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years before Messiah ever comes. They included things like this, his birthplace, his uh, birth family, um, also his, um, uh, how he would die. And by the way, it describes in the Old Testament even the means by crucifixion, which was not, I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of years before the Romans began to use this thing called crucifixion that no one would have known about earlier, but it's prophesied that he would die by means of crucifixion. And, uh, and even the le- resurrection. And I'm going to hold that one to another major point, as I did with my friend there. And, and so I just simply went through that very briefly. I didn't go through all the, the, the various ones, you know, I, all these prophecies. I just said, this is the story. And basically you need to consider that, that there are a lot of prophecies. 300 or so, that's a lot of prophecies. Then number two, I shared with him, a life of working miracles. Did you know that John the Baptist, who was a forerunner, as he was called, of Jesus in the New Testament, you've been reading, if you've been reading John, you've been reading about him, and he's put in prison. And while he's in prison, though surely he, he had lived with this conviction that Jesus was who he claimed to be, but in the midst of all that was going on, uh, he sends words through the disciples and he asks, is this really Messiah? And Jesus' response to that question, is he really Messiah, in Matthew 11, and his response is this, you tell him this, the blind see... The lame walk, the lepers are healed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. Now, that is the declaration of miracles. The historical record says that he did miracles. Now, I know that anybody who has a a sense of caution, they're going to say, and rightly so, hey, there are people today that are working miracles. I say, really? They work in miracles? What, What kind of miracles? And usually a person will point back to some of the television folks that are doing miracles. And uh, the great crusades and the people come up and they fall back and they this and they that and all the things. Hey, 
I'm not saying that's not legitimate. I'm not going to say right or wrong. But I'll tell you this. I'm suspicious enough on most occasions that I've done a little bit of homework on this. We had a man in our church who was a world-leading, one of the world-leading illusionists. And uh, he was a hypnotist. And uh, I asked him. He would go to do shows in Las Vegas. I mean, these vast thousands of people. And I said, how do you view some of this miracle stuff you see? Maybe going on TV and religious people. And so, well, how do you? And he laughed. He said, oh, that's very simple. He said, I can do that. I can do that. And I said, how? He said, it's hypnotism. He said, I hypnotize the audience. Not everyone in the audience could be hypnotized, but the vast majority is all it takes. He says, I do shows where I'll have thousands of hundreds of people in the auditorium and and I'll say to them, after I've talked to them with a suggestive voice and things that I say and how I say that I know that they're getting in a hypnotic suggestion posture, I will then say, now I am going to take my hands and I'm going to throw them at you. And when I throw them at you, you're going to feel wind hit you in the face. And so brace yourself because I don't want it to hit you too hard. But I'm going to do that at the count of three. And then he'll say, one, two, and he said, at three, I'll throw my hands. He said, there ain't nothing coming from my hands. <laughs> but he says, I'll watch row one, two, and it's just all the way back. And they will swear they felt the wind in their face. He said, it's just hypnotic suggestion. Now, I'm not making a statement whether this is true or that's true, but I know this, there are Things that happen like that. That would be the comeback that I would have. To say, well, whoa, whoa, what about? But it's interesting that there is historical documentation of long-term change. Here's one thing he said. When we do that, it's gone immediately. I mean, it's, it's there, and they might sense something heal. They might find something feeling different. It may, but check it out over the long haul. He said, it's not, it's not the long haul. Well, the historical record of the Bible, which if you remember as we looked at week two, that if the historical record is accurate, if it's a good history, that alone says everything we need to know. We don't have to prove it's fallible or infallible in that regard. If it's historically accurate, that's what we need to know. Well, the Bible record will certainly say that is the case and that incredible things happened. They were long-term. People went on after that as real heal, really uh, truly being healed. Number three, I went to the resurrection. I said the last thing is the res, or the third thing is the resurrection. I tried to explain it this way, and I'll explain it to you this way. What if I were to tell you that I am the best basketball player in the world? Some of you smiled, and just a few made a little noise, which you're saying, ridiculous. And I say, no, 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 no. I really am the best in the world. I could take on LeBron James one-on-one, beat him 10 out of 10 times. And nobody could touch me in basketball. You look at me. You look at my size. You look at my age. You look at everything. You, look, you say, are you crazy? I say, no, no, it's true. Is there any way I could convince you outside of you watching me whip him one-on-one that you would ever say, I believe you can beat him 10 out of 10 times? You say, no, there's not any way. I say, yeah, there is. If I could do this, you would. If I could take a loaded high-caliber pistol and I could let you test fire it 
and reload it, hand it to me, and then I say to you, I'm going to shoot myself right in the heart, and I'm going to fall down dead immediately, obviously. I want you to call the coroner. When the coroner gets here, I want you to watch as he examines me and pronounces me dead. And at the very minute that he signs the death certificate, as the pen is removed from the paper, I want you to check your iPhone or watch, whatever, and I want you to look for three minutes, and exactly at three minutes, if I open my eyes, speak your name, stand up, and begin to carry on a conversation with you. Would you then believe me if I told you that I could beat LeBron James in basketball? And the answer would be, well, absolutely. No doubt about that one. Well, of course you would, because it's the argument of the greater to the lesser. If this can be true, then certainly this could be true. As much as this might look impossible, but look at this one. That was the whole issue of the resurrection. He taught about his resurrection. And this is, in my opinion, this is the real issue of all the issues. If I want to boil it down to one thing, I say, you examine the historical record and you find out, was there a resurrection? Because if there's a resurrection, now we have God. There's no doubt about it. And if he says, I can forgive your sins, let me tell you, that's a small thing compared to he rose from the dead in his own power. That's amazing. So, there is a man that I mentioned in our week two as we talked about the Bible and its uh, accuracy and his, historicity and so forth. Uh, Flavius Josephus, a Jewish uh, historian, lived right after the time of Jesus. Many of the people who lived with Jesus were alive as he was writing. He was not a follower of Jesus by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a, known as an accurate historian. You can go to the, the universities all over the country today, and, and you will find Flavius Josephus heralded as the, the great, the author of the War of Antiquities, and, and uh, just quite, quite respected. This is what he says. Now, I'm going to put this up, and I'm going to underline that which some have argued was not in the original. And... I think there's just as much an argument to say it was, but let's assume it's not. But anyway, even if it's not, this is what it says. About this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, uh, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused of men of the highest standing amongst us and condemned him to be crucified, those who had in first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them restored for life, for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians so-called after him has still to this day not disappeared." Yeah, that proof? No, maybe. I mean, take it on the least likely uh, basis. But a historian of the day said, listen, don't, don't discount there was a Jesus living and claiming to be Messiah and so forth and so on. So another factor, the fourth being a legacy of changed lives. You've got uh, the story of the apostles. They were called the 12 disciples. We know that Judas, who was one of the 12, deserted him. In deserting him, you had the 11 replaced by one and so forth. Now, historical record outside the Bible 
tells us that each of those were martyred for their faith. They eventually died, maybe with the exception of one. But they were martyred because of their belief in Jesus. Now, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believe that he would rise from the dead, that he did rise from the dead. The historical record of the Bible says they saw him risen from the dead. Now, let me tell you, if he had not risen from the dead, and all that's not true, can you imagine that these guys would, in unison, for the most part, give themselves to martyrdom, knowing that it's a lie? It's a perpetrated lie. It didn't happen. He didn't rise from the dead, and therefore he didn't accomplish anything that other men can accomplish as, as great people. But they believed it full-heartedly. And the tribe of those called Christians have gone on to where thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands have given their life in martyrdom. More in the last year or two combined, take those together, than all of history combined. It's been that much even in the modern day. Now, my life is a changed life. I may be self-deceived, but I can tell you this. There was a day that I wanted to find purpose, and I didn't know what it was. And I wanted to find freedom, ability to do what I should do, and I was struggling with that. And I certainly didn't believe anybody could have assurance when they died they'd go to heaven. And then I encountered a relationship with Jesus, and when that happened, I'm telling you, it radically turned my life around. Biggest change I saw, and it's gone on for these 60, what, 50-something years, it's been peace that I've never experienced before. And have experienced since that time. Unusual assurance that I never had. Never could have believed that I had. But every age of people, culture of people, country, socioeconomic group, it's the same. Uh, listen to the words of uh, Kenneth Latteray, uh, who is uh, one of the great uh, historians. Uh, this is what uh, he says. He says, through him movements have been set in motion which have made society... For what mankind believes to be its best, the inward transformation of human lives in political order, in the production and distribution of goods to meet the physical needs of men, in healing physical ills, in the relations between races and between nations, in art, in religion, and in the achievement, achievements of the human intellect. So uh, last it says, gauged by the consequences which have followed the birth, life, and resurrection of Jesus have been the most important events in the history of man. Measured by his influence, Jesus is central in every human story. Now, all of that not to say that uh, he is who he claimed to be. But let me go back to my story with my friend that I'm sitting with now week after week and his wife now being included. So this is the week we come to week number Three question, is Jesus who he claimed to be? And so I, uh, I go in and I said, well, this is the week you've been waiting on for a long time. I go through these four things that we just went through. And by the way, was that just profound to you? Was it just life-shattering? Was it, would that make your mind up? I bet most of you would say, no, not necessarily. But when we finished, I said, that's all I got. You tell me what you believe. And he stared. It was a deadly silence. It must have gone 25 seconds. I, I mean, it, it seemed like a minute or two. And I said, and? He shook his head. He said, I don't know what to say. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I can't explain why, but I believe. I believe Jesus is God. I think he is the way to God. 
really? He looked over his wife. He said, what do you think, honey? She said, I think so too. By their own interest and desire, we got down on our knees. I don't do that with people. We got down on our knees. And I heard them pray, and they said, oh, God, we accept you for who you claim to be and dwell our lives. Let me tell you, they ended up joining the church here. Their lives radically changed, and it wasn't long at all. He goes back into partnership with his old partner. Last I heard, they were still partnering together. Maybe he's the only partner now. I don't know. The other man may have passed away. But, but last I heard, incredible story of reconciliation. Does Jesus change lives? There's a legacy of changed lives, I'll tell you that. Does that mean it's accurate and true? No, you've got to figure that out, what, what you believe to be the case. Now, about other religions, I'm simply going to do this. I'm going to have you just look at your insert. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to show you the outline, and this is kind of my recommendation. If I wanted to go through a, an investigation of other religions in comparison, this is what I recommend. I'm just giving you as a guide here. I would pick out... What are my options? My options are, as I look at other, other religions, none are correct. There's no way to God. All are correct. However, we do know they contradict each other, but maybe that's, a, that's an option. Number three, only one is correct. Then I would say, okay, let's, let's, what would I recommend for investigation? I would pick these, two, uh, these things right here as the most important. Pick the religions and their leaders which you think have the most merit. I put four of the largest religions. Doesn't mean they're only religions. There's certainly many, many more. But I would pick which ones you think have merit. Then the second would be I would pick a handful of the most critical evaluative issues and do a comparative study with those. I just gave us suggestions. The teachings, moral life, miracles, prophetic power, and present status. Those would be the categories that I would suggest. You may come up with different categories. Now, if you, if you take the four that I recommended, this is what you would find. If you took uh, Confucianism, you'd find out where it was from, how many people, and so forth. Uh, do that with, uh, with uh, Buddhism, uh, Islam, and, uh, and Christianity. And if the more you look into it, you'd find out, like, I'd want to study the, uh, the leader, like Muhammad. If you study the life of Muhammad, you find out that you've got a man who was very, very immoral much of his life. You got a man who, was, uh, who changed his belief system totally from, from his early life to his latter life. Uh, in fact, they, they would have what they would think of somewhat like the two testaments of our Bible, a New and Old Testament. The only difference is, I mean, in total contradiction to each other, one was a, uh, a pacifist and one, you know, was a jihadist. So you got uh, much change there. But whatever the case, uh, and then Christianity, and look at it. So... If you look at the, the back page, uh, the, uh, the areas of contrast, you look at teaching, moral life, miracles, prophetic power, and present status. And I think it speaks for itself if you just read the notes on that page, okay? Now, those are just a, a basic kind of the surface level. But that is a way to go about a, an investigation of other religions without us taking too much time here to do that. You may have questions. I may or may not be able to answer them about whatever religion, but, but uh, that might help you there. All right, let's now uh, go to our questions uh, in chapters 11 through 15. Uh, they would be questions in your Bible from, uh, we have in the margin, 19 through 27. 
I just want to make a few comments on these just real quickly. And if you'd like to dig into any of these further, feel free to do so. I would suggest you look at 19 and 20 questions uh, which have to do with the resurrection. I think I addressed uh, basically the issues there, which is he's claiming that, uh, that uh, in, in these texts of the resurrection that he is God because he can rise from the dead and that he therefore, by demonstrating it, can do anything he claims he can do if he can rise from the dead. Basic same thing. If you look at uh, uh, number uh, 21, what is the one condition Jesus gives for finding life? And I don't want you to be confused by what you find in the text when it says you must hate your life. That is a relative term in the Greek language. It would be, it could be translated like this, love less than. It talks about a love that is so great that in comparison, this affection would be as hate compared to true love. So it's not that you have to have a, a hatred for yourself as we would typically use that word. So just be, uh, be cautious there. Number 22, question, what does Jesus say is true of the person uh, who serves him? And it gets back to the same question that we asked earlier uh, a couple of weeks ago about following, where I say, what's the one thing that uh, is required to be a follower? Can anybody remember? Anybody remember? Follow. Yeah. You have to follow. And that's basically, that's what he's saying here. Then you come to the verse we've already looked at uh, in John 14, 6. Uh, then you come down to the next, which is um, how Jesus describes his relationship with the Father. And when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he's, he's saying I'm God. He's, he's, he's putting himself uh, to be God by simply saying that. Um, now this is an interesting verse in number 25. What is uh, Christ's promise to those who will ask him anything that honors him? And of course it says he will do it. Now that can be confusing and I always have to stop here because I've met with people who say, yeah, Randy, and it's verses just like that that cause me to not believe in Christianity. And I say, explain. And they say, well, there's another verse and it's in Matthew 7. I know the verse. Whatsoever you ask believing, you shall receive. And then I hear this story. My mother was diagnosed with cancer. There's a deep stage of cancer. And I'm a little kid at that time. And I'm just crushed. And a preacher comes over and he says, Billy, you need to pray for your mama. And here's the good news. God has made a promise. And you know, God keeps his promises. God has promised that if you can pray believing that your mother will be healed, she will be healed. So whatever you ask believing, you shall receive. And he said, that was the greatest news I'd ever heard. And I prayed and I prayed and I, my belief just grew bigger and bigger till I was not even worried about my mama because I knew. I knew my mama was going to be fine because I believed. And the Bible said, you believe, it shall happen. And then my mother dies of cancer. And I said, with that, I threw away the Christian faith. I have to say, you know, let me explain that to you. I think it's 16 different conditions that are given in the Bible for answered prayer. I'd like for you to think of it like a collage. If you put the collage together, you know what a collage is? A picture made up of many pictures, right? And if you take a picture out of the bigger picture and you look at it, it's not, it's not what you think you're seeing. It's not this picture. It's something totally different. You have to put it in connection with the other. So you take those 16 and what it's saying is really this. There are all these conditions 
for answered prayer. That's why people that know the Christian faith have been there very long and say the greatest work of the Christian faith is praying, learning how to pray, being diligent to pray because of all the, the things that are true about what happens for answered prayer. That's why so many people don't see that many answered prayer. They don't work at prayer, seeing all these conditions and dealing with them. But I put it like this to my friend. I'd say, imagine that your little child is at their first little uh, coach pitch baseball. And so the, your kid gets up there so excited. Let's say he's a little lefty. I'm pointing this way. He's a little lefty, and he's up ready to hit the ball, and the coach is ready to give his first pitch. And you happen to be, as the parent, in the stands. And so waiting for that first ball, and you're so, your kid's so excited, and, and about that time, you, your child looks around at you with this big grin, turning away from the pitcher, and grins at you, and about that time, here's the ump say, strike one. And your kid looks like, whoa, whoa, and looks over at you like, and what do you say to your child? Son, keep your eye on the ball, and you'll hit it. Is that true? Well, yeah, it's true. Well, so he says, I believe my dad. Gets up there. Strike two. And looks at you like, oh, you told me if I watched the ball, I'd hit it. Well, son, I meant assuming other conditions being correct. If then you watch the ball, then you will hit it. There are other assumptions that go with that. Well, likewise, in the Christian faith. So it never was meant to say, here's the one and only, but he's, he's doing a whole teaching on, on all the different conditions through his, his ministry. And certainly not to be viewed as we would often take that to be viewed. Uh, what is true of those who love Christ? Back to they obey, they follow. And the last one, uh, number 27, um, what does Jesus mean when he says he will leave a helper and that helper is the Holy Spirit? All right, that gives us, we're right at our, our 11.30 mark, perfect timing. So we got our time now for as many as up to 26 or 7 minutes to be able to make our questions, uh, or we can get out very, very early. So it's your call, what you desire to do here. Uh, we're telling you how you can do it. You can go online. Uh, you, you've got the information in your little handout there, how you can ask questions. If you can text, you can email. Uh, feel free to be putting questions up. You might be doing it through the week. You can do it any time a question arises. You read something in the Bible, would like to not have to have a mic and be uh, mic'd to ask the question. I understand that if you don't care. But I love if you will ask the question uh, publicly. But if not, we'll go up to the screen. I'd like to start with the, uh, the floor, though. Is there anybody? If you will, remember the, the here's the, the conditions. I always put this uh, to, to ask. You need to be a seeker, meaning someone who's seeking to understand the Christian faith, haven't yet embraced it as your own, but love to understand it better. You may be far away, you may be close, doesn't matter. This is not a time for the Christian community, for people of perimeter and others to ask their questions. We have many opportunities to do that. This is your time to be able to ask. So uh, feel free uh, to raise a question. Just put your hand up and I'll acknowledge. And if we don't have a hand up, we'll go to the, the screen if we... Uh, if we've got one there. Anybody want to ask a question? This has been a quieter group than most groups. Huh? There you go. we got a question right here. Coming quickly to you. and We'll get the, the mic there. There you go. Oh, do they ever emphasize about Christians going outside the church and telling non-Christians um, about Jesus and people 
Did they talk about that and tell them to please spread the word about Jesus to yeah. people that don't know him, not yeah. just spread the word about to Christians and be their friends, and Christians should just be friends with Christians and not non-believers. Do they do that, and you're asking, in the did Bible? The church, do they do that? Did the pastor ever spread the word to spread it outside the church about Jesus? Well, absolutely. And, well, and trying to let, emphasize Let me say this. The, if, you're, if you're being accurate to the scriptures and following the scriptures in Matthew 28, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And it tells who those people are. They're people from outside the faith. That is the, that is really interesting. Do you know this? You know, the, 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 it's the only, probably the only real organization, if you think about it, that uh, exists for the sake of people who are not in it. Because if it were just for us, why don't we just go to heaven and it's all done? But the, the whole aim of the Christian faith, the last thing that Jesus said before he left, which many would mark the last thing said being perhaps the most important, but he said, go tell everybody. So uh, I certainly as a pastor do. I'm not saying that others do. Uh, many do, I know, but uh, they should if they don't. I would put it that way. All right? They definitely should. This is a, a faith for, for all people. All right, let's go up to the, uh, the screen. Do we have anything on the screen? All right, we got one. Should Christians hold non-Christians to biblical principles? Ooh, absolutely not. Because you can't. How would you hold somebody to a biblical principle? In fact, we can be holding our convictions to biblical principles and perhaps doing the appropriate things to encourage others to do so, but you can't make them do it. And I'll tell you this, part of the problem in the Christian church today has been the uh, uh, immaturity and lack of wisdom of Christian people. And sometimes because of great zeal that is really motived very well, but they go out and they hammer and they hammer and they push and they're obnoxious and they're mean and they're, no, 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 no. See, we have the one weapon of all weapons, and that is we have love. I can remember CNN coming to me saying, we would like for you to uh, do an interview and a thing that we would do with you about uh, your view about people who... Uh, are uh, homosexuals and uh, and I said well no I will never do that and they go well why not I said well you probably know what we believe because we believe the Bible and, and yes the Bible does speak to alternate lifestyle it does but but let me tell you the reason that I think the Bible speaks to that is because of God's great love for his creation saying, I'm telling you, there is something that you're not understanding. And there needs to be understanding. So we're not going to just run away from what we believe is true. I have some very dear friends that are homosexuals. And if I've got two of them on my list to call for lunch just to catch up with them, see how they're doing. And they're just old friends of mine. Uh, that, I, I'm not, I don't have a problem with being, uh, I want to show love and so forth and so on. But if I'm asked by them, if they got in a conversation, I said, if you would want to, I'd be happy to share my views. They know my views. They're not going to ask that. But, but anyway, I, I said, why don't, you, why don't we use love? And love is giving people what they need, not necessarily what they want. So it's not telling them what they want to hear. That's where the world is confused. They thought that love is giving people what they want. And therefore, hey, they don't want to hear things that go against them. Well, but 
But at the same time, I'm going to be loving to say, I'm not going to force my beliefs on you. I'm not going to force my, I'll be your friend. Let's do that. So absolutely, but we, we cannot force anybody, our opinions on anybody. We can't do that. If we try and it's not wanted, then it's no good. That's why I can say this. The years and years and years that I've walked through the stuff I'm sharing with you, I haven't had one person upset with me. Because if they don't want to hear it, I don't tell them. I say, that's fine. If they want to hear it, I do. And if they may disagree with what I believe, that's their business, fine. But they're thankful that at least we had a, a good dialogue about it. So, but no, you cannot force your opinions. So, uh, another question from the floor? Anybody from the floor? I'm beginning to think maybe we not have any from the floor. They're the best ones, too. All right. Do you have, have we got any more for up here? All right. Am I supposed to be searching for God to become a Christian, or am I supposed to wait and let God come to me? Ah, good question. No, you need to search for God. But here's the irony of it all. I just read a statement from C.S. Lewis. Many of you, we've already talked about C.S. Lewis, who he is, and uh, talking about how, how, you know, we pursue God and then realize it's because he pursued us. But yes, we pursue God. We search for him with all of our heart. Uh, well, that's the whole, whole issue is we go after him to find him. I did that when I was trying to find Christ. I said, you know, Lord, I want to get to know you. And so what is the best way to do that? The best way, reading the word of God. You know why I had my friend that I just told this story about was about to take his life? Do you, know, do you know why I told him I will meet with you if you will read a little bit of John every day? You know why I tell you? Why don't you read a little bit of John every day? Because the Bible says itself that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Also, the Bible says of itself that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it does something to us which causes faith to come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It, it pierces our hearts. You know what was happening to my friend? I didn't persuade him. I didn't say anything in those four points that I made that swayed him. You know what it was? The Word of God had touched his heart. That's my belief. Maybe I'm wrong. But if it is true and you say, as a seeker, I want to search for God. I want to find God. I want to know God. Best thing I can encourage you to do is constantly get yourself exposed to God's truth, God's Word. The more you can be exposed to it in a healthy way, the more likely, because that's pursuing God, and that's the way God uses to pursue you. That does not sound too contradictory. But yes, he pursues us, but we are to be pursuing him and then find out it's because he pursued us. All right? Uh, all right, question back here in the back. Very good. You've talked about love. And yes, Jesus says, and the greatest of these is love. What about grace Okay. in relationship to love? All right. Good question. Grace is an expression of love. But don't be confused because so is justice, an expression of love. Uh, mercy, an expression of love. Love really is the pinnacle of all. That's why, that's why Paul says this, uh, uh, Timothy says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. I mean, that's the real, that's the heart of it all. It is love. The great commandments, you know, say they came to Jesus. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, there's actually two. It's love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he was just taking the two tablets of the Lord's, of the uh, Ten Commandments and summarizing the first four is loving of God. The last six are loving 
other people. So love is absolutely it. Now, mercy or uh, grace, grace is the expression of love, which is God giving us what we do not deserve. Uh, grace, G-R-A-C-E, some have used it, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the expression of what real grace is. Mercy is the opposite of grace. So it's the, uh, you, uh, not the opposite of grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Uh, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So they're kind of like two sides of the same coin, if you follow that. But grace really is why you'll find salvation through faith by grace. It is never earned. It's never merited. You're going to understand that one big time next week. And my promise is you will understand grace. That's my goal. You'll understand grace as opposed to performance. And I'll say this too for you that might be confused about the Bible. Do not fall into the error to think that the Old Testament was by law and the New Testament's by grace. And God quit the law and now gives us grace. That is not true. Grace was from the beginning. Law was added for one reason. And that's to show the heart of man cannot keep the law. And at the same time, it expresses the purity of God's heart. And saying, this is what we're after, but we can't get there. The law just points to us. It's a, it is a way to show us that, man, we, we can never meet the standard of the law. So that was an act of grace that he gave law so that we would turn to Christ, the ultimate gift of grace. Does that make sense? Any further on that one? Okay, good, good. Anything up here? All right, got another one. Do science and archaeology support Christianity? Well, I, I, certainly not everyone's going to agree with me on this one. I, I mean, many of you will say science does not support Christianity. Uh, archaeology, I, I think most would argue that archaeology does support the Christian. There's nothing in archaeology that's really saying this is not the case. But in terms of science, that's a bigger story there. What about science? Does it really? Does it not? You know, uh, you're going to have to... You're going to have to figure that out. In my opinion, uh, the people who say science does not is because they're looking at evolution as being... In fact, I had a discussion with one of you in here today. Or not today, but it's here today. But I had a discussion with you saying, uh, I'm an evolutionist. I believe, or believe in evolution. And, and you can't... You know, that's where I fall. That's where I have a trouble believing in Christianity. And when I explained what evolution is and what science says he goes oh because there is great evolution within species i mean let's face it nobody denies that. i hope nobody denies that i mean you're just putting your head in the sand if you don't say there is great evolving within species the question is is there evidence of any transition form between species from one species to the next and that's what and so, and particularly if you believe in the old earth theory versus the young earth theory, and Christians debate that, have different views. Uh, my particular view is, is old earth theory. And when I, when I explain what old earth theory is, people go, well, that kind of fits in hand with what many people believe in evolution. Here's the problem, though. They think that evolution begins with a, a blob and turns into a human, which we say, no. The blob may turn into a bigger blob and a different blob. And, and, and this, this bird is going to start flying where it didn't fly before or it quits flying and it, where it used to fly before. And there, there's a lot of evolution within species, but species to species, there's not the evolution evidence. And so uh, one of the noted scientists that uh, 
that I have quoted is, is saying, I, and not a Christian, he says, I can find no evidence of any evolution between species. So that's the, that's the challenge, I think. Well, that's why I say I don't think there really is a contradiction. But again, there are many that would disagree with me on that one. All right, any other from the audience? All right, the very back. So kind of going on the theme of evolution, uh, this is a question on the Big Bang Theory with Genesis. Um, if we define the Big Bang Theory as a rapid expansion from a singularity, singularity being defined as a point of almost infinite mass and density expanding mm -hmm. at a rapid point in time, would that align with Genesis 1-1 basically being in the beginning there is life expanding from a single point does that make sense? Yeah. Is there a parallel oh, yeah. there? Oh, yeah. And you're saying, could that fit into the story of how it happened? Uh, what I see in Genesis 1 is that God created. Uh, at, at what point and how long was that creation? I'm going to use an example of, of a tree. A tree, if you, did, did God create a tree that, you know, was this big around? Or were there saplings? Was there... What was, what was created as the tree? If, you, if he created a tree that was yay big around, my question is this. If you cut it down, would it have rings? Which mark age? Yeah. So could God create with the markings of age? Absolutely he could. Can God do anything? Absolutely. We, I just say when the old age theory, it's just a different view that says there are there could be millions of years in this process. As the use of the word days does not have to mean a single day. Many very knowledgeable, brilliant people will argue, and with very convincing thing, that, hey, that can still happen with the, still the, the science of today and could still have the, you know, how God does this, brings it about. There had to be energy to begin with. It's expansion. We know that. Uh, we now know that it's, it's in decline, you know, from that point. So there are certain things we know that have to be, and you can say that agrees with the Christian in their view of the Bible. And some people argue it doesn't. I personally don't have a problem seeing, I don't see the contradiction to me that says, oh gosh, look, here's a problem. But again, I'm, that's my perspective on, on, on what it means that he created. I got friends that would say, you know, it, it happened just like this. It happened in, in one moment. There was a human there and just like this. And, and, uh, but it was created as a human. How that human changed, I don't know. It could change over time, but I think he created humans. And that's what I would believe. And I think that's what the Bible would believe. Okay? Yeah, right here. Another question. When he's preaching, um, mention about getting people's lives saved every time after the sermon's over. And is that helping? Now, let me just ask a question. Is this going to help you understand Christianity in I, terms of their faith? Understanding, you, are you searching to that's find? That's mainly trying to get people saved. And I just wanted to know some churches when the Yeah, I don't want to talk about, I want to, I want to hold our questions to things that deal with how to come into a relationship with Christ. I think that's what oh. we're trying to do. Not Well, I'm, I'm looking for a church that is so well, we'll help you. Let's do this. We'll have some people right day. when we finish to help you and can help you learn about this church. We'll do that, okay? I just, I just didn't know. Yeah, that we'll question. we'll have somebody. In fact, I want somebody to make sure we get get there to answer those questions. Very good. I want okay. to hold these to people who are asking about how to find sal a relationship with Christ. Okay, uh, good. Anything that relates to that, meaning 
if, if what's keeping you as a barrier from being able to come to faith and so forth. So any others here on the floor before? Right, got any more up there? All right, let's go, let's go another one. Where in the Bible does Jesus declare to be God? Well, I, I think I went through a couple of them right here. I think there were six, there's six questions, I think, in the margins that are questions about that, and I'm trying to note them each time. So um, if you go back, I'm not going to go back and rehearse those, but uh, where he says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me, I and the Father are one, all of those comments are, and they're in the margins wherever you see that. I'd go back to that uh, to the uh, Gospel of John that we've given you. If you don't have the Gospel of John, we'll give you one when you leave and look for those questions. That way you can see each one. I'm trying to mark them each time when we go through. So let, let's go up again. To, do we have another one up here? Do we have another? Have another? Okay. Any other from the floor? We can call this just a little early. Oh, we got another one up here. Oh, uh, is Christianity and conservatism synonymous? If you're talking about political conservatism, no. Uh, there are people who are true Christians who are co conservatives, and there are Christians that would be liberals. Politically, socially, all, they have just different degrees of, of belief and whatever within the true Christian family. Now, are both accurate when they disagree? No. They're both not going to be accurate if we're in taking totally opposite positions. So you're asking the question, do Christians disagree? Absolutely. About a lot of things? Absolutely. <laughs> About a whole lot of things, which is one of the arguments people use against Christianity. You know, Christians can't even get along. They don't all agree with the same things. They don't all believe the same things. How do you know what to believe? And I say, do you know what? We're a... We're a broken people, and that's one of the hallmark beliefs of the Christian faith. We are broken people. We're all in sin, and everything from our mind to our body, physically beyond the, the mind, but the mind, the physical, uh, the emotional, every part of our being is broken down. And, and so the receptors of our brain are not perfect. We don't do one thing perfectly outside of having the righteousness of Christ given to us. Everything is broken. So we're going to think differently. We're not going to all agree. The beauty is when the church can have its many churches that express different beliefs as long as they all love each other. And within a church, I'm glad that people can find churches that line up with what they believe to be accurate. And, and somebody's going to be wrong. Well, let's in love say, hey, I can be wrong and you may be right, but here's what I, I'm just glad that that we don't have to get in a church and everybody spend time trying to figure out what do you believe, what do you believe, what do you believe, and disagreement with the... No, when you come to certain beliefs, so people come into churches that are liberal, some come into churches that are conservative, they believe this, they believe that. Well, let's love each other as churches. That's why in our church service here, we pray for a different church and they're not all like us in their beliefs. We still pray for the church because we say we're part of one family. We just have different degrees, and we respect those differences, and good that we can debate them and, and talk about them because we learn from each other to find out one of us may be, you know, one of us definitely is going to be wrong. Well, let's learn to see if we're the one that's wrong instead of pointing a finger saying you're wrong. So I've learned a lot from my brothers and sisters that have, you know, showed me things that I was wrong on, and I realize now, hey, I, I don't think that's correct. So that it? I'm, I'm not sure the, I'm seeing two different signals. Is it? 
Okay, that's it? All right. Well, good. All right. Uh, next week, again, I really think this is an important week. If you can't be here, I hope you'll on Tuesday uh, noon or after check it out because I want to share some things that I think will really be some ahas to a lot of us about what Jesus really is saying is required to have eternal life and understand. How do you know if you're really a Christian? I'm going to address that one too. How, do you, how can you know? I mean, if it's a subjective thing and it's, it happens, and how do you know if it's real or not? So I'm going to try to help with those, uh, those issues as well. Okay? With that, let me pray, and we'll let you be dismissed. Thank you, Father, for a time again just to investigate. Pray that it would be beneficial to all that have been here, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.